What do you know about that, man? As biologists, we, we catch ducks and we place bands on them. I got three phone calls from diehard fishermen saying, you know what, we've been friends for a long time. You've never taken me fishing at night. Because, because of, of me, that? <laughs> because of your pictures and because the Cumberland Lake yeah. night fishing piece just ran. Well, you know, you got to be kind of flexible and have an understanding mm -hmm. wife or girlfriend to go night fishing. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. You could probably spin that back around. Well, yeah. But two of them were guys that fished for UofL. Oh, okay. One of them is uh, Brett Graham, who he's doing really well for the BFL now. And I, and I told him, I said, the reason you don't night fish is because they don't night fish for money very often. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you're worried about this, you know, tournament fishing instead of just focusing on catching fish and night times where well, you're going to do it. But it's really hard to take a person who is either really good at fishing in the daytime and transition over the night. It's totally different. Yeah. You don't see anything hardly. It's all based on feel. Oh, yeah. I love that. Though. I like it, too. Oh, yeah. I, I like feeling I the fish. I don't like fish as much as I used to, and I, I miss it. Oh, yeah. I used to do it all the time back in the day. Well, honestly, this time of year, I mean, there's, no other, I do. there's yeah. no other way to do it. And that's something Joe was saying when we went to Cumberland with him was he doesn't really night fish that much anymore well, since he's been he, fishing the BFLs. He's so. gotten wrapped up in the BFLs. And, yeah. you know, they don't they do not do nighttime tournaments for one major reason. Safety. Well, that's two, two major reasons. Safety. And the other is those tournaments have sponsors. Oh, yeah. And you don't see leaderboards with branding on there. And you don't see people's jerseys with branding on there. Mm -hmm. TV is where the money comes from. When you get to the, once the BFL, it's all about TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And TV, as you know, Chase, doesn't do real well at night. Yeah, well, it's tough. It's very <laughs> tough. It's and tough to fish with a TV crew. Still at photography night. at night for fish is tough because yeah. they look like a lightsaber. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to use a flash, but yeah. then when you do, the scales in the water reflect real bad, and they, it looks like a lightsaber. Let's go mm -hmm. ahead and kick this off, and then we'll come right. back to that. So, I'm Chase Winnegar, sitting down Lee McClellan right here next to me. Hello, everyone. And today's guest is Chad Miles. Hello. Chad is the host of Kentucky Field TV. I'm sure everybody probably already knows that. So you've been doing it for two years now? What is it? Two and a half, two and a half years now. Two it's crazy years. how fast it's going by. <laughs> it I mean, seems like you've been doing it six months. Uh -huh. Yeah. It's been, uh, but I mean, it's run, it's running gun the whole time. Mm -hmm. I mean, Chad were talking earlier about uh, how many shoots we had to do. Well, he was here six months before I was, but how many shoots had to be done in that first little bit that he was host? And I mean, I think it was probably a record number of shoots for the show. You know, in the first 12 months, we were on location and I think it was 83 or 84 locations. Yeah. Man, you put that into perspective and you also, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that we do all of our planning. Uh -huh. So we were planning and setting up shoots, and then you got seasons you got to contend with, yeah. and you got bad weather from time to time, or just bad fishing reports. Yeah, it's uh, you yeah. know we have great jobs, Chase. We're yeah. very very lucky, and Lee, you as well. But the fact is, is that sometimes it's it, a bus too. Yeah. It is nonstop to do a TV show every single week, especially when you're trying to put together all new content. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so that's what I was saying. Basically, it's moved fast. That's why it seems like that two and a half years has gone so quick. Is because the whole time it's been going and going and going. People probably don't realize how little downtime there is. Oh yeah. Occasionally, we get to respool a fishing reel. <laughs> you know what I mean, or something. Uh, like it that. is, and, and you know, people that uh, that go out with us from time to time. We had my brother on a shoot that um, that we'll be airing here in a couple of weeks, yeah. and. Uh, we fished and we fished and, you know, we caught some fish early and took it. There was a lull like there is with most fishing mm -hmm. trips. You know, you have a period of time where the fish don't bite as well. And uh, I remember him kind of looking up at me and he said, when do you guys eat? Oh, gosh. Like, well, how many times, Chase, you been on a shoot where 
12 hours later, you finally get to a bite to eat. I, I, Chad, Chad knows that <laughs> sometimes on a shoot, I mean, I'm sitting there and I'm just about ready to eat my hand off. You know what I, mean? <laughs> I can get kind of nauseous when it gets that long. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I sneak peanuts or something in the... Uh, I'll bring something. There's a, there's a little bit of stress though to get in the shoot. You got X amount of time and yeah. travel, and you put this whole thing together, and you you work it out in your head exactly how the shoot's going to go. Then the fish don't bite. Oh, yeah, you know, honestly, it's probably more stressful for you. I, I can't think of a lot of shoots that I've been super stressed on, but uh, yeah, I'd say you you have a little bit more pressure on you to catch the fish than I do to make sure I get the video or something like that. But. Well, and I'm trying to decide what changes need to be made. I mean, if you're a decent fisherman. And you go out there and you go, this is how I'm going to make the fish eat today. Hmm. You're probably not as good as you may think. It, yeah. It's about changing. Yeah. The fishing changes. The weather patterns change. Yeah. You have got to always be thinking about where's my next spot and how what how am I going to make the fish bite? And sometimes you can do that with a tackle or depth change or changing the water clarity. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. You see that on our shoots, too. So me and you will be out. We'll be fishing with somebody. And, of course, not to mention any names at all, but sometimes we go out with somebody bass fishing, especially. especially. If they have a certain technique and a certain place they want to go before we even get on the water, and they're pretty diehard dedicated to that, a lot of times we're going to have a slow day. Sometimes it works out. But it's the guys who, like Jim Doom probably, yeah. are flexible and able to roll with the punches. That's a good shoot. Oh, yeah. And there's been times, too, we went out on spots that – on bodies of water that I fish quite frequently, and we go out with a guy that you know, he fished it yesterday, and he knows exactly where the fish are going to be at and how he's going to catch them. And we spend two or three hours trying to catch a fish that have I'm, left, <laughs> and they're gone. And I'm like, hey, let, let's let's try this. Let's try something different. And of course, we're in their boat a lot of times. Yeah. And then we pull up on a spot, and bam! In a matter of four or five minutes. We start catching fish. Yeah. And that's just because a lot of times you got to be willing to change. you got to be willing. I remember a shoot very vividly which happened to be on my home lake. Nolan or Dale? It was on Nolan. Okay. And we were doing a shoot with a great guide, fantastic fishing guide. And he went out and located the fish. And the fish had moved. And we had we had a storyline already put together. And I said, let's go fish some of my, my home water spots. And we went on about third cast. Caught a four-pounder, and we're like, hey, now this show is on. Get mm -hmm. ready. We got a TV show. Oh, yeah. It's all about ready to make that change and try a, def a different depth of water and a different lure, and sometimes it happens real fast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's something different about fishing versus hunting. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? And, yeah. he, and the thing about your job is you have to do everything. And I, I know you've been doing things outdoors, hunting, fishing, pretty much everything since you were a little kid. And Lee probably knows more about that than, than I do. And uh, hopefully you can talk a little bit about that here in just a few minutes. But I know when you got this job, you had to start doing literally everything. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, because you can't do the same shoot over and over and over. So you're trying to show a new technique or a new species or a new opportunity or something like that every time you go out. And over the course of two and a half years, putting together, you know, 80-something shoots a, a year, like you said, eventually you're doing things you haven't done before. Oh, a lot more than what you or yeah. the audience may may realize yeah. I, I mean i'll be honest um i really enjoy turkey hunting turkey hunting because of the time of year i mean it falls in the spring when the fishing i don't care if you're a crappie guy if you're a bluegill guy if you're a bass guy if you're a musky guy you're talking about april yeah and fishing and hunting and trying to do everything uh, it takes a lot of resources takes a lot of time off and there comes a point in time where you just got to go okay i've got x amount of dollars to dedicate to hunting and fishing and i got three days off and th that i can use this month you got to pick what you want to do yeah and that april when turkey season comes in 
I was always on the front of a boat. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, I had had an investment in a boat, and I'd to use my off days to do that. Turkey hunting for me, I'm I'm still relatively a novice turkey hunter. Yeah. Um, that's what I really do love about this job is that it puts me in a situation mm-hmm. where I'm learning all the time. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And the genuineness does come across when you watch Kentucky Field versus a lot of the outdoor shows. Oh, you know? Well, listen, you can take it from me and Chad. We talk to Jameson every day who's worked for another TV show that was kind of much more produced, mm-hmm. maybe overproduced compared to Kentucky Field. And when we go out there, we're not like, say, producing a TV show. We don't have a script when we go out there or we don't have something that we know is going to happen. We're just documenting. And then we show what happened is basically how the story goes. And that's a very endearing quality to the audience. This is a lot of the stuff you see on. That is one thing people ask me a lot. Who who writes your show? Oh, no. There's Um, no writing. uh, With the luck of the draw, writes my show. (laughs) Mr. Smallmouth writes my show. (laughs) Well, and there have been shoots that we went out and we had a set plan and we said, okay, we're going to try to showcase, you know, let's just say top water fishing. Yeah. And we get out there and we fish and we fish and we fish and we can't catch a fish and or maybe we catch a different species of fish. There have been times where we have completely started over from scratch and said, it was going to be a topwater bass show, and guess what? Today is all about crappie fishing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or, or white bass, yeah, or white, whatever. White bass are in the jumps. Okay, we're doing that. It's so hard to sit there casting in the bank, catching one fish every 15 casts, and the fish are blowing up behind the boat, and you're like, we haven't mm-hmm. done a show on white bass in a while. Let's go catch a white bass. Yeah. 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 It's just, speaking, you like to fish. So the one y'all did with Rick was great, don't you think? That was actually, mm-hmm. that, that's what it was meant to be. <laughs> but, of course, the white bass run on the land. It's pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what we didn't show on that <clears throat> on the segment with Rick Hill, and that was that was the Nolan um, the Nolan River uh, where it runs into the lake when, during the white bass run, is that we caught three or four walleye that day. And a lot of times we can't put in certain footage because it just doesn't flow with yeah, yeah. with the rest of the, the story. That piece, but by the way, it's walleye too. You know, you can't, <laughs> yeah, that would look well. No, we, it, I think it would have, but I think that I think that basically what happened that day was. Uh, they had gotten a shoot because they caught so many white bass, but then they started catching walleye, but the camera was somewhere else. Yeah, you know, we, we had turned the camera off, and we let the camera, you know, from time to time, we I, I want a cameraman, when we have a shoot, and we think we got plenty of footage, our cameraman, much different than a lot of the shows, our cameraman take that piece, and they'll take that piece back to the, to the uh, studio, and they'll spend two or three days with it. And I feel like, that if a cameraman experiences catching a couple of those fish and gets a feel for that, they're going to do a better job producing it. So if we have, if we have a really good shoot in that day with Rick Hill, I mean, I think we caught 50 or 60 fish. Mm-hmm. So after we had, we're probably going to show 10 caught on camera. Mm-hmm. After we had a, a pretty good amount of fish, I told the cameraman, hey, put that pole down for, or put that camera down for a minute and pick up a rod and reel. Yeah. Well, you know, we start catching walleye yeah. and <laughs> with sp- no camera. I'll speak to that. So going back to somebody's signs to the walleye, we had one that was like 22 and a half inches. So we had one pretty good one. Yeah, that's an eater. Yeah. Did, was it a fish sandwich? We actually put it back. You believe that? I, I wouldn't have. But, but, <laughs> we had uh, walked in a pretty good way. You got to have a cooler. You got to have eyes. You got to have a lot of stuff yeah. to, you know. They didn't even have a stringer that day. That's why they put but every that, white that, that That is a detriment. To yeah. Which is, it's good that we're saying this because uh, people are like, wait a minute. What's the limit on white bass? The reason we caught 50 or 60 white bass is because we put everyone back. We just kept fishing. We were yeah. just fishing for fun. And we Man, threw every fish. If I go white bass fishing, I'm keeping them. But <laughs> going, going back to that a second ago, you were talking about the cameraman taking it back and having a few days. Mm-hmm. I, a minute ago, I mentioned that one of the guys who's a cameraman here used to work 
for another company and they were kind of, you know, more produced. And so his only job when he worked for them was to go out in the field and shoot the footage. And then he would take it back and he would hand it to somebody else and they'd put the show together. So the show wasn't even put together by somebody who was there. Mm-hmm. So what Chad's saying, when he thinks it's good for the cameraman to, you know, pick up a pole or kind of experience it, that's because we are trying to show these techniques. And so we're going in the field and we're experiencing it firsthand. And then we're going back and we're putting that story together, you know, based on what we were, what we saw while we were there, not just based on a bunch of random footage somebody hands us. And I may not be in the office. I may be out doing another shoot. So yeah. they need to kind of know. No. And no. That, comes, that comes through. No, it's very, very helpful to, and I mean, I'll be honest with you, I've, I've done quite a bit of hunting fishing in my day, but there's techniques we go out and fish. I never had uh, float and fly fish until we went down there and did it. And uh, I mean, uh, the, the yo-yo spinner bait, I never had done that until mm-hmm. we went down there and did it. So it was helpful to be able to try those techniques and to learn them. And of course, I like doing it. But yeah. it, it helps when you get back in the office and you're trying to put something together to show people how to do something too. So, Well, if you're trying to showcase a technique, I mean, you guys are videoing the rod and reel and my hands and yeah. how you're doing certain things and keeping the rod tip high if you're yo-yoing and all that type of stuff. When you, when you pick up a rod and reel and you cast it a few times and you're like, oh, yeah, now I see why he was saying do this or yeah. do that. Oh, yeah. You may learn something new, too. Mm-hmm. You may learn something that you can add into the show. It's like, hey, you know what I'm noticing? And we may include well, that at another point in time. Like, I mean, sometimes it does, doesn't always come across. Like, talking about the yo-yo spinnerbait, and this might not even come across with the podcast, but talking about uh, feeling the flutter. Mm-hmm. You know, you want mm-hmm. even, uh, there's no way to show that with yeah, a camera. Yeah, yeah. And unfortunately, there's no real way to show it in a piece either. But yeah. you know, just knowing how to feel that flood, or you He's want talking that, about that, you want that. They want that blade, mm-hmm. that Colorado blade, moving as slow as you can possibly get it, but thumb. still move it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you can tell it ain't working, and yeah. you got to snap it real quick and get it moving. And then sometimes that could be a fish. Yeah, it could be. It could be. But he's talking about that holding on to that yeah. rod and feeling that thump, 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 mm-hmm. picking that, picking that uh, spinnerbait up. You need a good quality rod for that to happen, though. You, you know, do, if you yeah. need a sense. Well, those rod. those big Colorado blades, you can they got a lot. They of, thump. Yeah. yeah, and I think throwing the yo-yo spinnerbaits, he was basically throwing them on the bottom. I think you were throwing fluoro with those too. I was. Yeah. So you can really feel. I mean, no stretch or anything like that. Well, and I'll tell you what's really important on on a get a good spinnerbait that's got a good swivel. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of those swivels with no ball bearings that are just they're really good if you're going to burn spinnerbait because you're really moving some water. But when you're taking a spinnerbait and you want it to spin just by its own weight of its own fall, yeah, get one that's got a good set. It needs to be a little bit heavier too. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more weight. We were throwing three-quarter ounce. Five you want, you want them to fall pretty quick through the water. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's, uh, that's all good and so basically, I mean, all those shoots we went on, all those learning experiences, you said turkey hunting. I know you turkey hunted when you were a kid. A little bit, yeah. But it wasn't something you did like you smallmouth fish. Yeah. Or like you deer hunt or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. What, what are some other ones? Because I know I've been on some shoots with you. I think the, the I didn't go on the, I did go musky fishing with you, but I wasn't with you when you caught your first one. So yeah. I mean, there's some shoots yeah. like that where you've had first time experiences doing things. Yeah. And I've done a little bit of waterfowl hunting. Um, we've had a couple of waterfowl hunts that were lined up over the last two years and some of them. Sandhill Crane? Sandhill Crane hunting. Yeah. I obviously never Sandhill Crane hunt. That that we've not aired yet. It is going to be coming up here pretty soon. Yeah. But we went on a my very first Sandhill Crane hunt, which by the way, they're delicious. <laughs> <laughs> everything you hear about Sandhill Crane Rip being good. That's what they say. Everything it you know, it's closest and then of course I, I'm I marinated very similar to the way I would do a backstrap. Closest thing I could say is it's like a venison backstrap. Yeah. Fantastic. But anyway, yeah, there's a lot of new experiences for me. Um I was predominantly an avid fisherman and predominantly an archer yeah. and, a, and a rabbit hunter. Uh, and that's the things that I really enjoyed doing. I didn't, I dove hunted a couple times a year, 
but now it's i mean it's every week it's yeah. twice a week and i'm enjoying it yeah that's good and you know i just thought about this and i don't know how i hadn't thought about this before but you're probably the only outdoors tv show tv show host in the country that has to Rabbit hunt, deer hunt, sandhill hunt, smallmouth fish, striper fish, catfish, uh, trout fish, frog, frog gig. Like there, there can't be another TV show where the one no. person is literally doing everything that you can legally do in that entire state. Because mm-hmm. I can't think of anything we don't do. There's you one know, one thing I can think of, maybe, but you know, and we've even talked about um, we had a show lined up. I was going to go do some noodling, some hand grabbing. Yeah. Um, so there, there are there are still opportunities, and people want to see. The diversity. That's probably what I hear the most is, man, I never know what we're going to see when we tune into Kentucky Field. You guys are taking us all across the state of Kentucky yeah. and doing things that some people may not go out and try to recreate, uh-huh. but it's pretty cool to watch how it's being yeah. done. I mean, how many people are going to watch the, uh, what's the show where they're out, they're, they're limb lining for gators? How many people are going to go do that? Yeah. You watch it for the entertainment value sometimes. Yeah. We want people to get out and do, do a lot of these activities, yeah. but it's also cool to to see what how other people do things. It's also tough at the same time because obviously our goal is to show opportunity and teach people how they can do things, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, a lot of TV shows are geared towards one. This show is all about deer hunting. Mm-hmm. This show is mm-hmm. all about turkey hunting. This show is all about fishing. So people tune into those shows because they know what they're going to see. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So in order, like Kentucky Field, really tries to bring you everything. So you have to be a pretty open-minded person to. You know, just loving the outdoors. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because you could get anything at any given time. Like this weekend, we're uh, shooting carp down there at Bow Madness End. We got a double doe canoe hunt. Is what is our second story for this? For this uh, for this weekend? Yeah. So you you're tuning in, not knowing what's going on. Yeah. Probably expecting fishing because it's the time of year. And what are you going to see? Hey, archery's right on the corner. It's hey. time to get ready to go out and uh, get your bow sight. Hey, it's in. all about bows this weekend. Arch- oh, yeah. Archery fishing and uh, archery deer hunting. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's good. I, that is one thing that I can say at a very young age that I got involved in, and I love picking up a bow and arrow. That's still I, – I, if I had 20 minutes of free time, yeah. I want to run outside and shoot a bow. It's I just absolutely love it. That's, a, I, that's something I have in common with you, too, because that's really how I got pulled into the outdoors. I would fish, and I would do all this stuff, but – Bow hunting for deer is like what sucked me into that black hole. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm sure I would do everything else, but that is how I got addicted to it. Well, and I'll tell you what, for most people in Kentucky, most people in Kentucky do not own a 100-acre farm. No. Mm-hmm. Most people in Kentucky are trying to locate a place to go bow hunt, and they may live in an area that's surrounded by one-acre pieces of property or maybe five-acre piece of property. They're not 100-acre tracks of land. No. If, if you really want to get in and get passionate about hunting, then bow hunting a lot of times is your biggest opportunity. It's the most time, yeah. season's the longest, and there's more pieces of property that will allow you to bow hunt that may not allow you to take a rifle out there. Deer are on farmland, deer in you know, wood patches with no ag around, deer in suburbs, deer are literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. And to bow hunt, most places, I don't, I don't even think in the city of Louisville you can bow hunt, right? Actually, <clears throat> there are some rules and regulations on discharging a firearm, but Kentucky passed a law a couple years ago, and it's called the Right to Hunt uh-huh. Law. Mm-hmm. And that what that's saying is no city ordinance, no neighborhood association, none of those can supersede your right to hunt in the state of Kentucky. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. So that a lot of when that passed two or three years ago, a lot of people didn't understand the the 
full ramifications on that. But let's say you you move into a subdivision and the subdivision is they may have a can't fire a discharge or discharge a firearm. I'm sorry. Yeah. They may have a you can't discharge a firearm clause, but they can't tell you in the state of Kentucky that you're not allowed to hunt. Okay. So um, yeah, so in, if you're in a city of Louisville somewhere, we've done Kentucky field shows where we we shot deer in Jefferson County. Yeah, with a bow. With a bow. Yeah. Um, so if you can find a spot, and the, now the issue becomes, you got to make sure that you got the the uh, the uh, permission to retrieve. Yeah. Because the ability to hunt mm-hmm. does not correspond to the ability to retrieve. Yeah. You have to make sure if you if you if you take a shot at a deer and you're on a really small track of land and it runs forty yards away and all of a sudden it's off the property. You got to have permission to go retrieve that yeah. game. Yeah, and I'd say most people would be willing, but that's something good to line up ahead of time. Oh yeah. And I remember last year. Well, I think you did two urban hunts last year. Maybe I think so. Yeah. Something like that. I remember uh, in one of them, one of the one of the uh, highlights of the piece was good shot placement, good equipment. You don't want this deer going far, and just being mm-hmm. really confident in what you're in what you're putting downrange. You know, I would never take a questionable shot. Yeah. I surely wouldn't do it if I if I'm in a situation like that. Yeah. And I I shoot expandable broadheads anyhow, but I I'm shooting an expandable broadhead that I see most deer go down. Yeah, it's like you a, put a good shot on them, you mm-hmm. see most deer go down. Last year we shot, uh, we harvested four does, and I think the camera saw everyone hit the ground. Yeah, I can't think of uh, any that didn't. Yeah, one of them we didn't, but it, it's so early in the year. It was only about four feet from where we shot it. it we, you just couldn't see it because there was so much thick, thick grass. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, most of the time with those type of broadheads, a really good shot placement, good penetration. You know, matching a good weighted arrow with a with a broadhead yeah. that's got a good cutting diameter. You put it in the right spot. You're not going to worry about. It. Yeah, that's and, and a lot of our deer. And the whole reason we got on this topic was talking about deer hunting provides so much opportunity because there's so many places you can do it, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about bow hunting. Yeah, bow, bow hunting specifically. And, uh, I mean, that eight-acre track in Shelby County is where you're, you've killed half the deer that we've taken on the <laughs> show probably or something like that. So, I mean, that's just showing you, you don't need 100 acres. You can go out there and be su- very successful on five acres. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, I, I hunted that piece of property for eight or nine years. I bought that piece of property planning on building on it. But, you know, it was such a great hunting piece property i never wanted to build a house on it because i enjoyed hunting it so bad yeah, it was you, i could have built and still hunted that little track of track of land and a lot of people have areas where you have a little bit of wood corridors behind the behind your house that yeah. you it's a great opportunity to get out there and and take a deer with the bow. suburbs are some of the best places to deer hunt there's some big deer too <laughs> to bow hunt. yeah exactly i remember unfortunately we never saw any of the real big ones on camera something about the camera keeps the the, the big deer away <laughs> oh that's yeah. Some uh, camera keeps a lot of big things away. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you'll go out and <clears throat> the day before you've got, let's say, a six pounder, and then you come back the next day with a camera to, to record it, and you catch a fourteen inch as your biggest fish. <laughs> yeah, we well, call yeah. it the, the curse of the camera. Oh, we, we know all about it. Or camera shrinkage too. Camera you know, shrinkage. But that's looks big on camera. Then you get up like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this the deer wasn't quite as big as I thought. Bow mm-hmm. hunting, especially when you're hunting. Bow hunting or hunting an animal that's got a really, really good nose. And people are like, oh, man, well, what's it like hunting on camera? Or people come up to me all the time and go, man, I love your show. And I think some people, our camera guys do such a great job. I think there are some people that think that I'm filming this as well. Oh, yeah. And well. When, you, when you're bow hunting, you've got twice the movement. 
I don't know if that's a good job or Twice a bad job. Scent. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it, though. It is harder on camera because yeah. you've got another person there. And there's more than twice the noise mm-hmm. because you're now communicating with, I, I, I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't normally sit in the tree and talk to myself if I don't have someone there with me. So well, I do, but that's why I've been in the cuckoo's nest several times. <laughs> so it is, it is more difficult to take a deer when you're, when you're doing it on camera with a camera person, because now you've got twice everything, all, right. everything that spooks a deer. You well, got that's true that. for deer. That's true for turkey. Getting a successful rabbit or squirrel. I mean, it might not be harder to find rabbit or squirrels with a camera there, but it's, I mean, you got two people who need to now be able to get a mm-hmm. shot of that animal. And you got to make sure that if, you know, when the dog, when you're pointing in a certain direction, you got to make sure that the cameraman's not nowhere near that, but yeah. yet the cameraman's pointing in the direction because you go out and the rabbit runs by and you get a, you get a shot at it and you get a perfect harvest of a rabbit and the cameraman is pointed somewhere different <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. it's hard to describe that to the to the to the audience going yeah. man that was a really cool situation even though you didn't get to see it yeah yeah that you can't do that it just doesn't work it doesn't come across very well well yeah and that's uh that's part of the challenge of it but my favorite thing about this job and like i said you started six months before me but it's just getting to go trial the new stuff yeah like the bull elk hunt was pretty awesome yeah uh, musky fishing, even though we didn't catch one the day we went, just riding the jet boat through the shoals, you know, the mm-hmm. middle fork, that was that was awesome. Going mm-hmm. out on all these different lakes. I, I've been on three or four times the bodies of water since I started working here than I had before. Yeah. So it's been it's been pretty awesome. I almost feel bad for other cameramen at other shows that they don't get to do all that. Just stuck in the turkey blind week after week after week. Can you imagine if you're like if you're like now we're saying can you imagine? 90% of the people say, well, you mean I could have a job where I, I film turkey hunts for, oh, it's, it'd be for awesome. 10 straight weeks? Yeah. That's something. But they're living out of a suitcase going yeah. from Florida mm-hmm. and moving north as every season opens up. And yeah. they're filming turkey hunt after turkey hunt after turkey hunt and just moving north and going to Michigan. Yeah. Um, you know what? We're staying in our home state, state that we that we were raised in, that we love. Yep. And getting to do a bunch of different things, a bunch of different activities. It really is a pretty cool, pretty cool opportunity. Oh yeah, for sure. At least kind of got the same situation. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I doubt there's as many uh, migrating uh, writers. Or are there? I mean, you know a lot more about that world than I do. There are, and they will you know, follow. It's, it's different. Well, theirs is more predicated upon what they've sold to an editor. Okay. So it may be, you know, Osceola hunting in the south, or, and then the next assignment is. Um, Walleye fishing in the Upper Mississippi River, and the next assignment may be Kentucky Lake uh, tournaments. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, so th- they go where the opportunity is, and yeah. that could be, you know, yeah, it, it just depends on. So what, it's not what, a, what they've sold. It's not exactly the same because, like, for the other TV shows, we're saying that specifically yeah, focus to migrate on. to start in Florida in January and work your way north. There might be some guys that do that, yeah. mainly like bass riders. I'm thinking that mm-hmm. are, follow the tournament trail, but if you're a freelancer. You, you want work so bad that, you know, wherever it comes in, you're going to take it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I think I'm pretty lucky to have a job where I can stay here in Kentucky. I can be uh, deer hunting on this day, and then all of a sudden we'll be doing a fall smallmouth show on this day, maybe mm-hmm. trying to catch a muskie on this day, and then all of a sudden it's October and we're going elk hunting. You know, I feel pretty lucky to be able to do that instead mm-hmm. of saying, all right, this this week we're deer hunting in Kansas. Next week we're going to deer hunt here. Next week we're going to deer yeah, hunt here. Yeah, that would get, that would, you know. Yeah. Well, the cool thing is too, and uh, we've got we've got four videographers here at Kentucky Field. I will say, so so Chase and I, when we film, we may be hopping in the car at three o'clock, 
to head to the Cumberland River to go catch trout. And then Saturday rolls around. Chase is hopping in the car at 3 o'clock because he goes down there and does most of the shoots yeah, that we yeah. go and do. He goes on his own time and does them again. Yeah, I will say that he, uh, he spends a lot of time going back and recreating some of the shoots that we did. Yeah, I'm like a, a perfect uh, uh, person for the show. Not like as a, as a videographer and everything like that, but I would be the perfect person to watch the show because I would see all these things <laughs> and I'd want to, I'd be the person who'd literally be out there trying all of them. But I mean, about everybody I know DVRs it. I mean, yeah. you know. Yeah, and yeah, that's one good thing about uh, I've got a million in my bag. I was like, oh, God, i got to delete, you know, and his, your thing is 78% full. <laughs> <laughs> and 40% of that's Kentucky Fields. <laughs> yeah, we, we can probably get you DVD copies if you want. Well, everything's on YouTube now. Yeah, that's, I work, I lo- yeah, the ones I miss, I watch on YouTube. I mean, a lot of people still don't know that. Our YouTube has got a lot of subscribers. Mm-hmm. I think we're at... 43,000? No, we're, we're well over fifty. Oh, I think okay. we're at 55,000 or something like that. It's climbed a lot. I use it all the time. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I use it as a reference. So, if I'm getting ready to, like, today I, I had to pick out the other show to go with the Card Madness one. This, so, I went back and the, the first show, obviously, we haven't deer hunted yet this year. Yeah. So, the deer, we're trying to preview deer season. So, obviously, that was going to have to be a rerun. So I had to go back and, you know, based on the length we needed and the time of year and all that stuff, try to pick out a piece. So I go to YouTube and I just KY field deer hunt and I look for something that matches what I'm looking for. And then all of a sudden, bam, I got the show I'm looking for. So I use it as a reference, but people can literally go back and watch. I don't know how long we've been putting them on YouTube, maybe 12 years or something. Yeah, quite a long time. time. There's like 1,700 videos on our YouTube. So The interesting thing is about two weeks ago, we went and did a shoot with a gentleman who oh, was yeah. going to try to qualify for the Nationals fishing for the University of Louisville Bass Fishing Club. Yeah. He said he learned to bass fish by watching YouTube videos. He would literally go on there, and as, as he heard people talk about how they're catching fish, he'd go out on the lakes, he'd talk to people about how they're catching fish. You know, you come back in, rig up Texas, you know, Texas rig fishing for bass, uh, topwater fishing for bass. He would key that in and literally pull videos up and would go try to acquire tackle to match that and he has become a very good angler and he said most of it was about watching youtube yeah i'll be honest with you so chad knows this because i had an interview but uh my degrees are in criminal justice and business management i don't have a degree in production or or videography I, i mean i did it for a living i mean not for a living i did it professionally before i came to kentucky field but i self taught myself how to do all that using YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just had a personal interest in it. I started taking cameras with me out in the field and uh, you know, I'd get back and I'd, I'd need to be able to do something with all this footage, which is where a lot of people stop. A lot of people take cameras in the field with them and then when they get the footage, they come back and they show their buddies on the camera mm-hmm. and it stops there. Mm-hmm. But taking that next step and learning how to actually edit the footage and, and um, you know, do something useful with it, that's kind of the, the next step. So I just literally, everything on YouTube, I would take my footage and I would I would watch videos and I'd say, okay, this is what I want to be able to do with my footage. And then I'd figure out how to do it on YouTube. And that's that's how I taught myself everything. And I, honestly, being able to learn all that stuff on YouTube is kind of what led to me having this job. Because oh, yeah. if, if I wouldn't have done that, I wouldn't be sitting here. So It's amazing how different our four videographers are as far as the where their strengths, and strengths are with their skill sets. Chase uses a GoPro way more than any of the other videographers if you're seeing shows you're like well how do they get that angle mm-hmm. and if it's using a gopro camera it's probably because chase taught himself how to be a videographer by using gopros yeah so i remember i'll never forget the very first deer hunt you and i went on oh the, the show. bow hunt yeah um i think you were running three 
GoPros <laughs> and it had them hooked up on a on a remote control. And I'll never forget, we got down out of the tree. And I remember looking over at you because I was pretty new too, right? Yeah. It's my first bow season. That I might have been one of the first bow hunts. It may have been, yeah. And I remember looking over and going, by the way, did, did you get the shot? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. I got it all on the GoPro. And I'm thinking, <laughs> because, you know, with the GoPros, especially the, the generation we were using, you can't see the video footage on there. You just got to hope it's getting it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he he was pretty confident. Knowing that framing it. helps a lot. That's mm-hmm. how I did it. I'd be, uh, I got, I have personal YouTube videos uh, people could watch, but the coyote hunts and deer hunts mainly. And uh, I would set, I would take two GoPros with me most of the time. And one of them I would put framed up on me, just like if I was filming Chad Hunt, I would want to have him framed up, but a little bit wider. You know, I'm not getting any tight shots. So obviously my footage was a little bit, or my my edited footage was a little bit more jumpy. I basically was using two angles and I would vary those angles, how they looked with a little bit of zoom and crop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Change it up just a little bit. But I was mainly jumping back and forth between two cameras. And, um, yeah, learning how to do that really helped a lot with this job. But then uh, we have a little bit more flexibility with a hand camera here because I can get some cutaway shots and I can get some other stuff. And, honestly, the production quality we try to, we try to achieve is much higher than what I, was, uh, what I was getting with just my GoPros. Mm-hmm. So we want it to be a, a smooth flow. We want everything to, you know, when we watch it, you don't, you don't want to realize that, Okay, two hours pass between this shot and that shot. Yeah, oh yeah. Obviously, a lot of times that does. So it's mm-hmm. it's taking the viewer's mind off of that time passing by showing them a squirrel digging up a nut. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or just something real simple like oh, that. And it's the cool reasons why many of us get out in a deer stand. Yeah. I mean, if if someone said, you know, you you're not going to get a deer today, would you flat out not go uh, hunting? Hey. Probably not, because I can tell you there's a lot of times I go. And I'll get in a stand knowing that my schedule is going to be so tight. I don't have time to really process a deer. I still get in a stand. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't go just for the harvest. You go mm-hmm. because you want to be out there and be a part of nature. Sometimes it's really cool. You want to become a better hunter? Go out there and, and see how close you can get a squirrel to you. Oh, yeah. Before before you spook it. No. That's how yeah. you become a better hunter. I mean, you try to get a bird to land on you. Yeah. Um, if you only went just for the harvest, then you probably don't love being outdoors. I'll tell you, I uh, last year I might have told you this before, but I was literally, you know, I got it to where I was saying because I'm running trail cameras. You got a fairly idea what's happening near your stand right now. So I would, I would get my trail cameras and I would think, okay, this deer's coming through for a grand total of five minutes a week. At you know, on two days a week, he's there for two minutes at a time. If I go hunting this afternoon, I have a four uh, percent chance of seeing this deer. Let's say I got a 50-50 chance of getting a shot at him if he comes in. I've got a 2% chance of success today. Let's go hunt. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, all right, that's that's not bad. That's you not know, bad, I'm yeah. feeling pretty confident in my 2% chance. And honestly, that's about what it works out to. Mm-hmm. I'm successful bow hunting for a buck 2% of the time. Usually yeah. I'm going to stand 50 times a year before I, I get one. And people don't realize that, too. They, they watch Delmer Fudd cartoons and stuff, and they, they think that every time you go, you're successful, but... Failure is what happens most yeah. of the time, um, fishing or hunting. Oh, yeah. And and success is to be enjoyed. Well, you know? and let me tell you, this is a big reason. People people sometimes will ask about Kentucky Field. And, you know, we, we are not trophy buck hunting. And yeah. there's a reason we're not trophy buck hunting. We're not against getting a big deer. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not against it. But the fact is, we go out and get two or three archery shows. We move on to the next thing. We may not be deer hunting at all. And it's really hard to say, okay, guess what? We're going to go three weeks and produce no TV shows in search of a big buck. Well, I'd love to do that, but, yeah. man, 
That mm-hmm. would you're going to see three or four weeks of reruns because I'm trophy hunting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're not really we're not trophy hunting one because we got a lot of shows to fill up. Plus, out of all the hunters out there in the state of Kentucky, how many of them take a massive trophy? Yeah, well, a lot. I mean, so we're about showing. Well, you know, we're not we're not trying to show necessarily any certain type of individual hunting. So yeah, you can trophy hunt, or yeah, you can hunt over corn, or you can not hunt over corn. We're just showing what's legal and what what's best for us to do. And a day's experience of field, not yeah. predetermined, you know. Yeah. Well, I. And those shows that have the predetermined, you know, and you can tell well, they're probably hunting in a enclosure or the fishing shows where the guys going mm, ah, every time they set the hook. I mean, I turn those off almost immediately. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just can't stand that stuff anymore. We don't have any of that fakery in the magazine or in the TV show. What yeah. you see is what you get. And, pe- and that, that comes through. People know that it's genuine, not staged. Going back to the trophy hunting, like I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I consider myself a trophy hunter when it comes to deer hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, only for bucks. I mean, I like to shoot three does a year and get all that venison. But uh, They taste good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll spend my time scouting a buck, picking out a buck, trying to figure out how to get on him, only hunting on the days where the wind is absolutely perfect at the right times and trying to do everything I can not to spook that buck. And I pass up buck after buck after buck. And I put so many hours into doing that each year that it would literally be all that we could possibly do. So, I mean, if we did that, we would not be able to highlight any other opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that's just not what we're about. Well, you know, the other cool thing, too, and uh, I, I don't want to make this podcast seem like we're touting Kentucky field, but we are giving a little bit of a behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. look. Yeah. And I will say this. Chase, you've been on probably, what, 50 shoots since uh, since you started with Kentucky uh, field? His oh, first sure. one was, was you and I, Chad. That's it? true. It's true. On Floyd's right. Fork. Yeah. How many times have you ever seen us showcase the use of any equipment for advertising, uh, advertising reasons, promotional purposes? No, we really don't do it. We have equipment. No, I'm, ta- we, I'm talking about, like... I catch a fish, or someone catches a fish, and we swap the lure out to say, "Oh gosh, on this. oh god!" No. Let me tell you right now. Oh yeah, I know, mm-hmm. I know. Promotional dollars pay the bills on most of those shows. We're very fortunate with Kentucky Field. Now, mm-hmm. do we have do we have lure companies every now and then send us some stuff? Yeah. Yes, I have never, not once, caught a fish and swapped out a lure and said I caught it on oh, this no. because for promotional dollars. Now. Well, we showcase what we're casting. We're not doing it for promotional reasons. We're doing it because Showing people, works. people want to ask. Yeah. If you don't show up, people go, well, what are you catching those fish on? Yeah. So I use the same type of gear that I use now before we came to the show. Mm-hmm. We're in almost the, my boat in the show boat. You could set them side by side and you wouldn't know the difference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know, I know do, for a fact that when me and you go fun fishing, we're fishing with the exact same stuff that we're fishing on the yeah, show. We, do, we don't do any other promotional reasons. Yeah. I'm not using any equipment or any gear. For, for this show to try to convince people to use that type of equipment and gear. I use it because it's what I used before. <laughs> You've got a good story about – what was that? It was before, well before you were a host, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well before you were a host. I had a situation one time where I had some friends, and this one I worked for the department but wasn't the host. And there was a company that wanted to film some video here in the state of Kentucky. And they hooked up with me and said, we're going to film a nighttime fishing piece and they brought two professional BASS elite anglers. And they fished for a couple of days, and they had four boats, two cameras. And, of course, as we talked earlier, the the boat without the camera would catch a couple of fish. Well, after two or three days of it, I go, you know what, guys? I'm going to go back, and it just was a bad time of year to be on the lake we were on. I said, I'm going to go fishing somewhere else. They're like, where are you going? 
And lo and behold, an hour later, they've loaded up four boats, camera crews, all the equipment and gear, and moved to the lake I was going to. Well, I showed them a couple spots, and we were fishing, and we were catching fish, and they weren't catching fish. And these are elite pros who are fantastic, but they were trying to catch it on the gear, right? Mm -hmm. I went down and caught two or three so fish. So you're fishing something you feel confident with. They're fishing what they're paid to fish with. I was fishing a Cinco. Yeah. This company wasn't for Cinco. Uh -huh. And I caught two or three fish, and mm -hmm. we had some three-pounders. And the next thing I know... They're asking me to keep a fish, and they're hooking it on their bait. <laughs> and they're talking about how great this bait works. And I remember thinking, this, of course, this is well before Kentucky Field. I've never been a part of it. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh. I don't know if I can ever watch a commercial for a lure and feel the same way ever again. Don't yeah. you think that's common? Oh, I'd say so. I'd say it is common, but what I'm saying is we've never done that. Oh, no, 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 no. We don't do it in the magazine either. I don't even mention... I'll mention like Cinco type soft plastic yeah, stick baits yeah. or a floating diving Rapala type of minnow. Yeah, but yeah. I'll never say, you know, go get Sunline FC Striper. You won't catch them if you don't have that. You know, go, <laughs> and, you, know you, you, need a, you know, you need an X wrap and ghost color, this song, you know, and I'll mention sometimes, but I've yeah. never tried a uh, product. You, place. You've definitely product placed this, uh, the X wrap before when we were talking about how uh, mussels attract their fish. Remember that? <laughs> no, it's a, it's a Rapala X wrap. <laughs> I don't know. People might not get that reference, but no, it's uh, that's funny. We, we, we show packages and but stuff like that. Sometimes you have to yeah. because there's certain lures. That, that you're catching them on, but it's not about... Oh, well, on TV, you know. you're going to show it, and yeah. we even sometimes show packaging. When we're getting ready to start out the night, we may show two or three, or uh, start out a show, we may show taking a, a lure out. But these are lures that we, we keep a, a lot of tackle on the boat, mm -hmm. and it's what we feel the most confident catching a fish on. I've never, ever, ever said, man, so-and-so sent us five bags of, of worms. This next fish, whatever we catch it on, let's swap it out. No. That's mm -hmm. never happened because, listen... We don't have a vested interest no, in making exactly. sure that there's a company that's getting their value out of sending us some tackle. Nobody gives us money. I no, do know that. All, all my tackle, I mean, sometimes some friends will just give me stuff, but, you know, just, but I've never been sent stuff with the intention or the enticement of use this. Everything I use for my magazine articles is stuff I buy with my own yeah, money. Chad, yeah, Chad you know? does the same thing with his own. Oh, yeah. I buy tons of tackle. Now, we have had some companies, uh, We've had some companies here, and especially the local companies. I love the local companies. Mm -hmm. And we got three or four really, really good tackle manufacturers, probably mm -hmm. more than that, probably 10 really My good manufacturers here in the state of Kentucky. I love showcasing their stuff, but they're stuff that I used before I was host, too. If we're using that, we'd be glad to show show someone saying, hey, this is People exactly are curious. You can't yeah. completely yeah. blow it off. But Oh, if we didn't show what we were using, that just means we'd get asked 10 times what we were using. Yeah, get mm -hmm. ready on Facebook to yeah, put exactly. 15 times. It's a... Three eighths ounce DNL jig because people yeah. are going to ask. Yeah, <laughs> yeah five sixteenths baby advantage, you know, yeah, and the that. oops color. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but you know, I'll, I'll say uh, combinations of instead of a particular color, combinations of like say brown, purple, and, and mm -hmm. gold or whatever. And just try to keep it generic whenever I can. Yeah, yeah. Well, that makes sense. It makes sense, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I specifically show the packaging just so people know. Yeah, but try it, to educate when it comes to colors and stuff like that, we may showcase the color. But here's here's a simple fact: unless you're fishing at the exact same time I'm fishing, which that's the case, you're not watching the show. Mm -hmm. Situations change, and I'll tell you when it comes to color, tones are important. That final, you know, that 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 uh, green pumpkin color, whether or not it has green flake or gold flake. Mm -hmm. 
really is more for your confidence and not for the fish. Yeah, the colors give you confidence. So you think that's what it's about, isn't it? That's, you know, that's what I've been told. If you throw one, you throw a green pumpkin color that's got brown, fl- black flake in it, and you don't catch a fish, and you tear it off, and you put one with gold flake on it, it's probably because you feel like, okay, I'm starting fresh and new. I got something new on here. I'm going after them. Mm-hmm. And you fish a little harder. You fish a little more confidence. You got to have confidence in your tackle. Yeah. yeah. And I think the color varieties is what's it's just about confidence. Oh, yeah. You know? Um, Back in the day, I didn't. I, I loved to fish little slider worms, and and I'd throw them all in one box, and I'd pull them out, and you know, it'd be chartreuse bled on brown, which bled on, <laughs> and caught fish on all those. And they were, you know, I mean, gross looking, you know, because <laughs> the, the colors all bled together, and I caught fish on. Oh so, yeah, you know, color is important, but I don't think it's the yeah. do all of, of everything. You, you know, know? It's, it's the tones I think that that are really important. Do I really truly think that you have to have that Motorola color with that purple flake and you go and get Motorola o- o- o color with blue flake that you're going to catch nothing? No. Yeah. <laughs> it really is about confidence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of, a lot of the colors are so similar too. Oh yeah. Like and, uh, and I've caught them on, you know, say sight flash, or, you know, got them. Yeah, and yeah. you know, and then later that day caught them on electric blue yeah, shiner. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then put on a Cinco Green Pumpkin Magic, and you know, I mean, a wide variety of colors and caught fish all yeah. day. Just in my opinion, you're talking about sight flash, and when you're running a swim bait, you're imitating a specific thing. Mm-hmm. So I always just try to go with a natural looking color, yeah, a minnow color. Yeah, but when I'm using uh, soft plastics, I mean, what am I really doing with a, a ten inch worm, twirl tail mm-hmm. worm? You know what I mean? So I'll think more about colors when I'm doing that. Motor oil, tequila, sunrise. Uh, red shad or something like that i don't know i vary my colors a lot more fish and soft plastics but you guys probably both know a lot more about that than me but that's just my well, that's what i mean tequila sunrise and old times that's one of my that's favorite old school color i, I will it. tell you that some of my really good friends that are extremely good fishermen went about and spent years and years and years and years of accumulating every single color every single size piece of tackle and putting it in their boat and the ones that are really good over the last four or five years they've got four or five colors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That they That's throw. where I'm heading. And I'm they shedding a lot of stuff. Threw everything else away, and they they've got lures and four or five colors. And they go, if the water is clear, I throw this. Mm-hmm. If the water is slightly stained, I throw this. Yeah. If the water is heavily stained, I throw this. Mm-hmm. And you know what? They've simplified their process, and they know exactly where everything's at. And you know what? There's a lot to be said for that. Oh yeah, you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes once you get so many. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got a whole room half of it soft plastic blowers. Oh, I can tell you, people have made fun of me. Lee, you've been in my boat before. <laughs> I've had times ten years ago that I almost be willing to bet I've got more tackle on that boat than just about any tackle store in the state. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's because of the colors and the sizes. And now I pretty much, you know, I, I stick to a couple of colors. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of different tackle, don't get me wrong, but it, it's I am limiting how many colors I buy because you walk in the store and man, it's just like, oh, look at the pretty colors. You know, your and, eyes fall out of your face. Look at all these great colors. And tackles. you go out and you have a gray down this color and you're like, oh, God, I got to go five. I have to have five bags of sexy shad now. I have to have five bags, you know? And I know people who go in and the hook and they'll just take the hook and go. <laughs> and clean the hook out and look walk out the store so else can get it. And then five years later, they've got seven bags and they will use three. You know? That's defensive fishing. Yeah. In the, in the store. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's funny, those crappie, there's a crappie girl that I love out of Kentucky Lake, you know, the little solid uh, lime green one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Shelton's makes I love it. And that's a local company. But you'll go and, and that whole row will be gone. Yeah. Like, I mean, half the stores you go to, there'll be one or two left or the whole row will be gone. Everything else will be full, but that one particular row will be gone. <laughs> that one that one that was left on there because the previous buyer wasn't a credit card 
purchaser. He was a cash. <laughs> yeah, he ran out money. <laughs> Two dollars short from guaranteeing my victory. That's <laughs> right. I have twelve bags instead of fifteen. You know. So you just take that one off the off the shelf and you know, stick it somewhere. <laughs> I know people have had them before. Had them in the store. They come back because they were broken. They come that's, back that's the next a, day and buy them. Oh, if they're coming back to buy it, that's fine. But if they're just hiding us and somebody else couldn't get it, that's well, pretty, I mean, I've that's heard pretty, people doing that. Too. That's pretty low. <laughs> that's that's tournament mentality. <laughs> that's funny though. But you always have black, don't you think? Well, as a night fisherman, probably. Yeah. I, I love black pretty much. Black is good too for trailers. You know, and trailers is a thing that I pretty much stick with, with white chartreuse or black. I mean, you, there's there's trailers for jigs and all. You can go a thousand different colors and spinner baits, especially or buzz baits. If you're going to run a trailer on there, you don't need sixty five different colors. It's a bait you're pulling pretty fast anyway. Mm-hmm. And on a spinner bait or a buzz bait, you're you're shooting such a riffle of water across it. Seeing the exact uh, slight little swirl of pink or blue in there is probably not going to be visible. I stick with two or three basic colors on all my trailers, and black is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the uh, I don't mean to get us off the topic of fishing, but we need to wrap it up pretty soon, and I wanted to try to get to a few things that we might do this year. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I think that this is my personal opinion. I haven't talked to you about this at all, so I might just be throwing something out there. <laughs> I need to get a pistol hunt. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, a lot of people don't pistol hunt. Pistol yeah. hunting is something that I've done for years and really, really enjoy pistol oh, hunting. Yeah. We uh, we have been very fortunate the last couple of years that we've been very successful with bow hunts early. And um, pistol hunt something we need to do. We need to get in. We need to get ourselves out there during that gun season kind of and try to get a pistol. It is unique. It's a lot of fun. Do you it, still have your 454 Casul? I do. I do have a 454 Casul, and I shoot 45 long coats through it. I have that same pistol. That's what I remember. I've, last year, I pistol hunted several times with the exact same gun. Mm-hmm. And I just don't feel as confident. as I know you said, you told me which distances you felt comfortable shooting it. I mean, they're I've, very I've, reasonable. Very ever, reasonable. Do you ever uh, fill it up full brim with the biggest load you can? Or? Uh, as far as deer hunting with mm-hmm. I have, yeah. I have shot them with a four fifty four Casul. But God, I bet the recoil on that was... It brings Anus. it brings the leaves off the trees <laughs> when it goes off. That's what I always thought. Your, you can move your wrist for a couple of days. <laughs> I mean, a forty-four mag is a lot of fun, but you know, Mac Lang used to tell the story of when people would get uh, their conceal and carry, and for their, their shoot day, they'd bring a forty-four mag, and after about <laughs> ten rounds, they were shaking their wrists. And oh yeah, so like, bring something you can shoot. You the, know? Dirty Harry made it look easy though. I bet that's blanks. I mean, people <laughs> like well, that's a big. I was like, if that was a real life, he would have hit himself in the forehead with that thing. <laughs> yeah. 44 mag has tremendous recoil. My 357 mag does. It's, oh, yeah. You, know, you, you got to keep a loose grip and let it I used kind to, of absorb a little bit. They, uh, I think Smith made them. They were a, a Scandi, or what's the word I'm looking for? It's a super lightweight metal. Uh, it's a uh, start with an S. I'm I know. Say. Uh, it's like a Scandi. It's not Palladium, but it's, yeah, I know what you're talking Scanate, about. Scandi, I cannot remember, but it was the most lightweight pistol I've ever held in my life, and it was a 44 mag, and shooting that thing was just like basically holding the cartridge in your hand and letting it go off. My granddad had a 10-gauge single shot with a wood uh, stock shotgun. Oh, gosh. That thing was Sears and Roebuck. J.C. Higgins. Remember, that's a Sears and Roebuck oh, yeah. brand. That thing would, gosh. You know, Chase, this is funny, and it's talking about off track, here we go again. You and I had lunch yesterday. We were talking about uh, buying kids their first shotgun. Oh, yeah. And how many people will go out and buy a a 410 shotgun mm-hmm. that literally weighs nothing. Two and, and a half said, pounds. That thing probably kicks twice as hard. And that's an expert's gun. Get yeah, a 20 oh, gauge. Yeah, yeah 20 it, gauge is exactly what me and Jabo said. We said, you know, put a kid put a kid in a 410 and he, one, he's probably going to try to struggle finding shells. 
may not get the you know get the the amount of pattern that he wants to take down the game that he's hunting. And it's probably going to kick worse than that twenty gauge. It weighs about yeah. a pound and a half. The more. shells are a lot more expensive. They're too. expensive, yeah. Yeah, that's what like Bobby. He hunts with a four ten. I'll take a twelve gauge out there. He's got his four ten, and he's making fun of me for how I'm not challenging myself. You know what I mean? So it's the same thing. For a long time, that's the only thing I had was a my grandmother's pistol grip bolt action Mossberg four ten. His, his is <laughs> that's a, the only thing I had. This is a bolt I, action. I was with it. Yeah, a bolt action single shot. So and it's just that's all old wood stock. Well, you had a big advantage. <laughs> no, but it's a... But I'm telling you, when, you're, when a dove's flying by and you got to work a bolt, uh, that, that dove's laughing as he flies by <laughs> If you don't hit him with the first bird, shot. That bird, same bird keeps flying by. Yeah, he's like, see you, sucker. <laughs> yeah, I got laughed at by a lot of doves last year. I'm looking forward to dove season. Me too. I kind of wish it didn't fall on the same day as opening day of deer, because then now i got choices. But I'm, I promise you, I'm going to deer hunt in the morning and dove hunt in the afternoon and deer hunt in the evening. You know, something we, you and I did last year that uh, is a massively missed opportunity here in the state of Kentucky is late season doves. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We did that show. Well, we were lucky enough to find a hemp field that yeah. had doves on mm-hmm. them late in the year. But, you know, that was well after most people had even considered taking a dove. I wanted to say we were, in shotgun the, to the field. We, we were into January. Yeah. Oh, it was like two days before the end of the season. Yeah. It was like January 16th. I've something. written several articles on late season. Yeah. Oh. You never see anybody even think about it. Oh. And uh, that's a that's something that I'd like to do again this year. It was a lot of fun. I used to do it all the time in Richmond because, you know, I had a farm. They had a tobacco base and bales beside it. Wheat. Well, they probably sow some wheat after they got the tobacco. They out did. Of and, and, you know, it's legitimate agricultural practice. You yeah. Because it was a crop field, not a, not a food plot. Yeah. And uh, you'd pass shoot them, go out there in the morning for a couple hours, and it was a ball. You'd sit behind the hay bale and just pass shoot, full choke, pass shoot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Put a big sustained lead on them, and boom, it was was challenging and fun. Oh, yeah. Well, I love love fishing, and... uh, but I'm looking forward to, I mean, we're about six weeks out right now from hunting season, really getting going. Uh, fall archery turkey will be in, archery for deer will be in, dove season will be in. Uh, not long after, actually, squirrel comes in in August, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So squirrel will be in before then. And then uh, when we start getting into November, we're talking about uh, rabbit season comes back in. Uh, bobcat comes back in in the fall. Uh, Cowdy hunt's going to heat up. So, I mean, literally, we're right around the corner from a whole lot of good hunting. Mm-hmm. I'm ready for it. Oh man, I tell you what, I I, I will say this. I've already, I just ordered my dozen arrows for the year. I always get a dozen arrows. I'm getting ready to start shooting that bow. Yeah. I've already talked to numerous people that I'm going to try to get out and do some rabbit hunts with. We've already got a few things lined up. Rabbit hunting is probably, as far as just all out great social event, good yeah. time to go to, mm-hmm. to get out with a family or a friend. My favorite thing in the world is probably go yeah. rabbit hunting. I like I like. Well, obviously, deer hunting is not the best social event because I'm up there alone in this tree. <laughs> but, but that's part of its allure sometimes, too. No, that you is. Know, it's but good to deconnect from everything. If you've got good friends that deer hunt as well, then the the conversations, you know, leading up to deer season, talking about deer, sharing trail camera pictures, and, I mean, talking to each other, you know, about your hunts. And then after somebody actually gets a deer, going out there with them to help them retrieve it and clean it, and, you know, everybody gathers at the barn while it's hanging there and, and stuff like that. It's really good socially, too, mm-hmm. but not nearly. So when you're rabbit hunting, you're having you're being social and having fun with people. Dove yeah. hunting, too, is really yeah, social. Dove hunting the entire time. When you're deer hunting, it's really about – you know, certain times, but if you've got a good tight knit group of friends who does that, then it's really good too. You tell me, uh, rabbit hunt too. You go out there, and especially if multiple people have a dog, yeah. and you bring them together, 
you, know, you can raz on each other on whose dog's doing good, yeah. whose dog's leading the pack, mm-hmm. and whose dog's running the wrong way, yeah, and whose dog's patting and busting everything. Yeah. 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 It, it's a, it's just a lot of fun. And then you're shooting at a moving target. They're you know they're not really they're not really easy to hit either. No, so. they're hard to hit. Yeah, there's, there's rabbits that can humble you. You know. Oh, yeah, I'd like to go swamp rabbit hunting myself. Yeah, that was a fun shoot we did last year. I was telling mm-hmm. people that you know people call in and say, "Oh, there's no such thing as a swamp rabbit." But when you look at them, that is a different species of rabbit, and man, they're fast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see how people say there's not a such thing as a swamp rabbit because I've heard that plenty of times. People come. Well, they don't up, believe there's flying squirrels either. Oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They think you're making stuff up. And you say, oh, "I saw a flying squirrel the other day," and they think. He's been drinking or something like that. <laughs> but we had them all the time growing up in Bartstown. We had them in the woods all the time. I've seen them right here in Frankfurt. Yeah. We uh, actually had film. We filmed one this year. Um, we did a falconry hunt. And during the falconry oh, yeah. hunt, we had a squirrel treed. And a falcon was you know, going from branch to branch, going that, yeah. up the tree. And we were going, how come that falcon doesn't see that squirrel? It's sitting right there. And we're watching it go up the tree and watching it go up the tree. And all of a sudden, we see the falcon take off. It wasn't a falcon. It was a red-tailed hawk. I'm yeah. sorry. We see the red-tailed hawk take off, and we're like, oh, it's on now. It goes in the wrong direction of the squirrel. We're like, what in the world happened? We get the we get the red-tailed hawk down, and guess what? It was doing its own hunting. It was a There was a flying squirrel in that tree that none of us could see, and it went up there and picked it off and had lunch. The last <laughs> flying squirrel. <laughs> the only one. <laughs> Now, last year, I was gray squirrel hunting, or squirrel hunting. It just so happened to be a gray squirrel. And I saw her run in this hole of this little dead tree, right? I mean, just, I'm talking a six-inch diameter dead tree that wasn't 12 feet tall. So I told Bobby, get ready. I picked up a stick and, you know, just clubbed on the tree with like it was a baseball bat or something like that. And here come three flying squirrels out of the hole. Oh, wow. And they just sat there. And, I mean, I was sitting there, you know, six feet from them, just staring at them. I mean, Bobby just kind of oot and all at, you know, how cool it was to have flying squirrels that close to you in the wild. And then we just went on our way. That, there that, used to be an exhibit at Salado with flying mm-hmm. squirrels too. I think mm-hmm. they've uh, they don't have that anymore. The bad thing about flying squirrels in exhibit at Salado is that they're they, they're nocturnal. Yeah, yeah. So you can put a flying squirrel in a in, in an exhibit, and you kids that come in and take check it out, they see nothing because we're not open in, in the evenings. Yeah. So that's true. Um, one thing I have in my notes is is now that that we're at that time of year and you all went, um, you're one of the best night fishermen that I've ever seen. And uh, I was Thank thinking, you, yeah, Thank you. I went on about you. And I remember that time that on Benji Kim and Lake, you took Obi out to, to about what ten, and Obi went home, and then Chad had the second shift show up about eleven, and they fished until what nine the next morning. Didn't oh you? yeah, yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, I but, but maybe fishing. some tips right now because that's what's that's the best way to catch a good fish uh, on the reservoir. Uh, right before now. we get into the tips, I'll just brag a little bit on Kristen. She was tough the other day when we went. Because she, she told me after the fact, she was like, I thought we might fish until, you know, like 3 or 4 in the morning. No, it was it was 9 o'clock in the morning after we'd put it on the water. You know, the sun was still up in the sky the day before. And uh, Chad was like, if you want to hit another spot, I know where one is right over here. And uh, I was so tired. I fell asleep about 10 minutes into the drive home. <laughs> yeah, we recently went and spent a night on Del Hollow to yeah. Chase and Chase took his girlfriend. And... Uh, and I, I was actually telling them when we got out there, you, you got to let me know when you've had enough. Well, you know, our, our old director, Tim mm-hmm. Sloan, used to tell me he wouldn't fish with me because I'd never bring him back to the boat. <laughs> <laughs> you did that to Zach, too, didn't you? Zach Campbell, didn't you keep him out all, until like 
8 a.m. one night. Zach didn't tell me, but that may be the case. Well, he was like, well, he just said, God, I'm dying. I said, what happens? Like, I, mean, I, I, I fished with Chad. <laughs> I feel lucky when I'm out there. I fished the whole, I mean, the whole time, but it, our bite had slowed down quite a bit that day. So, well, and, and that's, it's it's like it's like fishing the other time. I mean, you always have a window of a couple hours, and you got to be willing to change. Just because the the conditions aren't changing doesn't mean the fish aren't moving up or moving, getting more uh, deeper, moving toward the grass. But I tell you what, fishing at night for me in the summertime, there's nothing more enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. is there a price to pay? Mm-hmm. Yes. You're going to be tired the next day. It's part of it. But get out <laughs> no there. Lunch. <laughs> you get out there, and would would I rather go spend? Would I rather go spend a day in a boat with the sun beaming down on me? Hotter and fire, no bites, or even a night fishing from the bank. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I can I can tell you we would jump in the back of a truck and throw two rods in there and two or three baits, be a spinner bait or a buzz bait or a, or a, one of the uh, pop R's or mm-hmm. something like that, mm-hmm. and we would just run and hit pond to pond to pond to pond. Oh, I was night fishing on ponds. Uh, I've never snuck into golf course lakes at <laughs> night fish, but but I had some friends that did, and they told me about it. <laughs> so, I don't know if the statue of limitations you just, you just have like be okay one now. rod and a couple of uh, you know culprit worms and you know some hooks and something you can run with. Yeah, something you can run with. <laughs> you, the old culprit worm at the old uh, Tequila Sunrise. No, I like the black red, and blue culprit worm. Red shad was great. Oh yeah, red shad's a good one too for, for a, a shallow lake or you know golf course or fun pond. But, you know, that is, in this time of year when it's just too hot to be out there, man, don't forget about picking that rod and reel and going out there and fishing, you know, fishing from 9 till midnight. Mm-hmm. The fish are also hot. They mm-hmm. also get more active. And those fish will those fish will respond. Now, you got to fish different. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as fishing in the daytime. You, you have to fish different. It will make you a better fisherman or fisherwoman because you have got to feel everything. Mm-hmm. It's not like you know if you're casting off a boat, you're fishing beside someone, you're you're kind of seeing where they're casting, and you and you got to make sure you're not tangled up. And everything is based on feel. You don't see your line jump, you don't see your line run. It's all based on feel. That's exciting when you feel that. Oh, I love it. When, when at night you can you can just because I mean. And I'll tell you what, popping. I tend to catch bigger fish at night yeah. in the summertime. The big it, fish tend to tend to feed more at nighttime. So I just I absolutely love it. I think a lot of people too think that oh August night fishing's over September and, and into the third week of October so you night fishing's fantastic still. Uh, well, and it's September also, is a great month to fish at night. And it depends on what you're fishing, uh, what species of fish you're fishing for. But I can tell you that I have a good friend. We've done two shows with him, Greg Brizendine, mm-hmm. on Del Hollow has said that he has caught fish at night in every month of the, on the calendar. He's caught them in January and February because, you know, you get that freakishly weird 60-degree day, especially mm-hmm. down the southern, southern part of the state. He said he's caught fish every single month uh, in the year. You really can fish your own. Oh, yeah. Now, the best time for me is what I really enjoy night fishing is a couple of weeks after the spawn mm-hmm. and let that run after the spawn, and I'll fish all the way into, you know, September. Mm-hmm. Not that they quit biting. It's just, you know, other opportunities present themselves, and I'd move on to something else. Well, one thing about September is, is you know, you, you can fish at 7.38 till about 11, and then you're you're still getting night fishing, but your butt's not as kicked as, like, yeah. in July. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Give a few tips, Chad, and then let's wrap it up. Yeah, but, well, if you had three things to throw at night, what would you what would you tell them? I'll just say for three for smallmouth, three for largemouth. Okay. So if, if I'm going to throw for smallmouth at night, and something's going to be the same. 
Um, if someone said, all right, put three three lures on there, if it's small enough, it's, you got to have a hair jig in there. Yeah. A hair jig. Purple. I like purple. I like dark colors. I would like them really, really dark on. Purple and black trailers. We're throwing black and chartreuse with a dark trailer. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and I will lighten that color up a little bit on a full moon night. The more the, the more light you get, the, the lighter the bait will get. Chase, we went down. It was about an hour before dark. And, and what did you catch your first two fish on? It was a brown and orange. It oh, was yeah. a very natural color. Yeah. What the, happened after after about an hour after dark? Yeah, I swapped I sw- you out with a black on, on chartreuse with a black trailer. Yeah. The darker the night, the darker the lure. So I, I like a hair jig. I also love a Colorado bladed spinnerbait. Mm-hmm. And the weirdest thing about this is, is I throw a spinnerbait a lot during the daytime too. I don't know if I own a Colorado blade uh, spinnerbait that I will throw in the daylight. I throw them almost at night exclusively. I throw double willow blades almost always in the daytime. But at nighttime, you want something that's big thump, big vibration, little movement. So I throw a Colorado blade. Um, and then whatever your favorite soft plastic is. I don't care if it's a brush hog. I don't care if it's a worm. I don't care if it's some type of an ultra vibe speed crawl. Whatever that soft plastic is, pick up some colors that are pretty dark and Texas rig it. And that is a fantastic offering in uh, i've caught big ones on a four inch slider worm at night or a little bitty crawfish just fished it slow as i don't, I don't think that the, the bait itself actually matters chad knows a lot more than i do but i mean literally i've seen them caught on uh texas rig worms mm-hmm. i'm sure you could do it on a, a shaky head we've caught mm-hmm. them on shaky heads yeah. at night mm-hmm. uh the ultra bob speed crawls the yum crawl bugs pretty mm-hmm. much everything yeah it's it really is based on color lizards work great at night too yeah color and I'll tell you this, if you, if, you, if you think, man, I want to give night fishing a try, I would highly recommend go fish a lake that you're extremely familiar. And I'm saying it for two reasons. Safety is obviously paramount. You're out there running where you can't see very well. And don't drive fast, but just take it easy. But number two is, fish. if you're out there fishing and you're in an area where you don't know where that structure lies by heart because you've fished it a hundred times before, it can be a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. You want to give yourself an opportunity, best chance for success quickly, and you'll get better. But if you go out and you go fish on a lake and you're trying to hit a rock that, that the map says it's right there, and you're trying to locate it in the dead pitch of black of dark, that's probably going that's to be I, I love points at night. And go then, fishing with somebody who's really good yeah, at night fishing. Point, points are good, obvious landmarks. And, yeah. and, and, you know, if you don't have a boat, a lot of people don't have a boat. Mm-hmm. So, but if you, you can take, go to Cumberland or something, get on public land. Go on a point and bring those lures you're talking yeah. about and just fish a couple of points. You can smack them. There's a lot more bank fishing access than most people give mm-hmm. give their credit for, for being. Because, hey. I mean, so many lakes are red line or, mm-hmm. or public land where people can access that. They just have to put a little effort into in. it. Yeah, put yeah. a little effort into researching it. But you don't have to bring a bunch of stuff for nights. Bring two rods and, you know. And hey, yeah, bring one rod. Yeah. Don't forget those ponds. And let me oh, tell yeah. you what, yeah. if, you're, if you live anywhere near a river system, catfishing at night. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is the time of year to catch catfish at night. So, I mean, there's so many opportunities. We're, we're specifically talking about bass fishing because I think we're all fairly passionate about mm-hmm. bass fishing. But but catfishing in, in the river systems and fishing at night, let me tell you what, this time of year, you can catch crappie under a light. Mm-hmm. Yep. Find you a pond. Find and you hybrids and white bass, too. And hybrids and white bass. There's so many opportunities to fishing at night. But a little jitterbug on a farm pond along a weed line, and woof, isn't that fun? But I've also caught good smallmouths in streams right at dusk, throwing yeah. a jitterbug inside. Huh. I haven't yeah. done a lot of creek fishing at night, but that's about it. Well, 
one thing about waiting at night, though, is your depth perception goes. And it's mm-hmm. a good, easy way to step off into a six-foot hole you think is three feet deep, so be careful. But, yeah. yeah. But right, right when that dark comes and you can't see your lure tail on a little jitterbug and black jitterbug will work at yeah. 45 degree angle down current, you'll crush them. I think I might go fishing tonight. <laughs> I've also hey, caught big channel cat fish. I know I'm going tonight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chad's, Chad's fishing tonight I'm for sure. I'm definitely fishing tonight. I'm, I'm excited. I brought my rods and reels right before the show lined up. Or, yeah. uh, we started doing this. I was lining up rods and reels, yeah. so I'm ready. <clears throat> that TNT. I've talked about you fishing that before in the podcast. So oh, okay. It might be something that's known. I don't mm-hmm. know. Because I, I talked about you hooking Swift in the face. <laughs> so, so obviously I had my to big, mention My it. biggest keeper of the year. Yeah, man. You're going to be hard-pressed to catch one bigger than that. Man. <laughs> Two, 220 probably, if yeah. I had to guess. <laughs> Jared would say 185, but it's probably closer <laughs> to 230. <laughs> no. Hey, I've been fishing that. Uh, you know, And I'm only fishing that because a, he's a very close friend of mine. Yeah, and yeah. Jared, yeah, he, uh, he actually fishes more than just the, the TNT out there. Yeah, he he yeah. fishes other nights. But you joined him on that one day of the week. Fishing with buddies is always fun. Oh, yeah. But, yeah. you know, I, I do a little bit of tournament fishing. I do a little bit of smallmouth tournament fishing. I fished this just because he wanted somebody to fish with, and I said, you know what, we'll, we'll fish a couple of, couple of weeks. But you know what, we've been finding fish. We've been having a blast, yeah. with the exception of one night. Uh, one night. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll make for the best story the whole time, too, though. So oh, yeah. You got yeah. something else out of that one. <laughs> we used to fish the Will Green Tournament Trail in Richmond. They used to have a Tuesday night tournament on Somebody Will was talking to us about that the other day. I can't remember who that was. We used to, if, man, I got big fish one night because I was eating a sandwich and left my little worm on the bottom. It's like, why is my line going sideways? So I dropped my sandwich and reeled him in and it's big fish. Biggest bass I ever caught was like that. Who, who was talking to us about that the other day? They were talking about some of the, the fish that are stocked on Will Green being kind of strange species. There's some, there's some. Uh, there's someone talking about mean mouth being the, mm-hmm. in Will no, Green. Will Green. Yeah. Was there not hybrid in, in Will Green? Lake, now, Lake Limbo has mean mouths. It's no, documented. Somebody was telling me about fishing in in uh, Will Green the other day, and there's something I was very surprised to hear that was in that lake. I just cannot remember what it is I, right now. It wasn't the perch, was it? That no, that was Linville. Yeah, yeah. yep. Linville has yellow perch. Yeah, basically, if it's a weird species of fish, it's in Linville. <laughs> Spoonbill, perch, <laughs> mean Johnny mouth. Appleseed, you know, yeah. there's northern pike in Laurel now too. You know, I'd like Is to catch. Right? Some, mm-hmm. I'd mm-hmm. like to catch some pike. I'd really like to just catch it's a musky. Johnny Appleseed, John Williams thought. You know. Yeah. Hmm. I would uh, if you catch one of those. I'm guessing we're telling you to get state rid of it. Yeah, state record came from there. A northern pike mm-hmm. wow. from Laurel. So, mm-hmm. Lee, you know this. Are Northern Pike, are they native to Kentucky? No. Okay. That's Johnny Appleseed. Okay. When you say Johnny Appleseed, what are you talking about? Someone from Northern Climbs likely released them in there to provide a fishery. What the heck? I mean, you get it all the time. Yeah, well, I mean, People think, well, I'm going to make the fishing better by taking fish from this water body and putting the other, and it's a that doesn't make it better. No. Yeah, and you Especially know that, if they're not native. Yeah, I, I would like to go every now and then up in Canada and do smallmouth fishing, and the fishing up there can be fantastic. And one of the reasons they don't like smallmouths, they don't Some like place. smallmouth, and they're not native. Mm-hmm. Zups and places like that have brought smallmouth in to certain bodies of water that they're not native. The locals hate I, them. Yeah, so we shouldn't do, shouldn't be taking smallmouth areas to catch them, and they're not native. Well, either. the railroad people, you know, they're originally native basically to the Mississippi drainage, you know, mm-hmm. and they there'd be no smallmouth fishery, I think, in the Shenandoah and all those rivers, the railroad people brought them and released them in there back in the day. Really? And that's how they expanded their range exponentially, through the railroad people. Huh. Uh, that's, that's interesting info. I didn't know that. Hmm. Well, 
Well, right. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Cool. I was we'll, we'll just charge you a fishing trip. That's <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> go. We're pretty cheap. Get your rod and reel. Let's go. Me and you are supposed to go fishing sometime soon, Lee. Yes, we're uh, going to go next week. We can work it out with Jameson. I'm, I'm ready to go whenever. He's been emailing me a bunch about it, so he's excited. Well, anytime you want to go, you can just let me know. All right. <laughs> this is another cool thing about working here for the Department of Fish and Wildlife is that Lee, you are a passionate river creek fisherman you write the blue water trails so if you ever want if i ever want to you know go out and learn a little more about that you've taught me a lot about creek fishing yeah. we're going to float we're going to float the green river, green river looks up. pretty yeah i mean i might that do that shot. yes chase yeah. comes in and, and tells me all his experiences about chasing uh, predators and coyotes mm -hmm. and you come to work every single every single monday morning you know people have that 10 yeah. minutes around the water cooler mm -hmm. ours is sharing hunting and fishing stories for the weekend yeah. and what's going on a lot of places is complaining about this or complaining about that here it's like do you go fishing? Do you do this? Do you do that? You know, and then you yeah. learn stuff. Oh, no, it's true. It is really nice working with people who really like to do the same stuff you do. And I like working with people who like to do things a little bit different too, but all in the outdoors because I honestly learned a lot about lake fishing from Chad. Me too. I've learned quite a bit about uh, stream fishing, especially the opportunities. I mean, like I've, I've always stream fished, but just knowing where some of these spots are and stuff like that from you. I've been very lucky. I've gotten to travel all over the state and float yeah. and it's, great no it's it's nice uh, working with people who you share information and stuff like Chad's that Chad's taught me a lot about reservoir i thought i you know knew a lot about reservoir smallmouth fishing until i fished with chad and he's really expanded my knowledge right. and he's the one who turned me on using a shake head he's the one to turn me on using tungsten using fluorocarbon and throwing bigger stuff than i thought you could for but remember that time it snowed it was the high was 38 it snowed all day and i was like well we're not it was terrible conditions. Chad put three nice ones in the boat. I still have the pictures with his head is covered in snow and the whole background's in snow. You remember that day? Oh, I think you've told me about this. Didn't you say it was a, your confidence was just on the floor and it was yeah. like, oh, this is a horrible day. Horrible day. Didn't Chad tie on some bait? You were like, oh, what is he thinking? We had the, he Chad tied on a gigantic jig. I was like, what's he thinking? We're not on Kentucky Lake. <laughs> I was like, you need a, you know, you need a three sixteenth ounce hair jig. It's the heaviest thing you could throw. And it really expanded my mind. I was like, no, got him. I'm like, well, all my theories just went in the crapper. <laughs> but you know, but things have evolved too. And that's one thing Chad's real good about is he keeps on the cutting edge. You know, you can't fall back into your 15 year old patterns because they become obsolete, you know, uh, just spending time out there and experiencing things. Sometimes the best things are found out by accident mm -hmm. because like you said, you put your worm on the bottom and get a sandwich. Mm -hmm. That's how I call my biggest pass. I think Chad discovered a, a nice technique, uh, the swim bait technique, cold water swim bait technique. Yeah, we're going to highlight it. We've already filmed it. It's going to be in November. You know, I fish a swim bait in really, really cold. Everybody knows you need to slow down in cold, right? Mm -hmm. My favorite lure in the world, if you got, if I get to take one lure to fish the rest of my life with, it's going to be a swim bait. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I like to swim bait fish, and we we discovered a technique to catch fish on the bottom. Yeah. Not even hardly moving it on a swim bait, which sounds ridiculous. It works really well. Look, well, Chad took me on July or January the 3rd. It was where we're about to come back to work. Bluebird, high 42, not a cloud in the sky. Delha was like, well, we're not, we're not going to catch a thing. And Chad gave me the swim bait and the tungsten head. Say, so Lee, throw up in this in the middle of this weed bed. And the key was letting it go down the weed bed, getting hung, and then ripping it out. And then you feel <laughs> just a light bump. I caught a 19 inch smallmouth, about a 19 and a half inch largemouth. Oh, yeah. Several six, I think I caught four fish that down a day where I would, even with, with shiners, I would have been wondering. Let, 
the first time I ever fished uh, the technique Chad's talking about, we were down there, and uh, I only fished for four hours. I fished from sun up to lunch, and we had 25 in the boat when I got out. And uh, him and Brooks kept fishing the rest of that day, and they ended up on 48. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty good day. That's a great day for <laughs> yeah. smallmouths. I, I mean, that's as good. That really is as good as it gets. I'll never forget that day. I was teaching him this technique that we're going to showcase. Yeah, because I never had fished this technique before. I, and he, like, literally, I needed to figure out My how to do it. My stomach went so high, though. Man, they kill you <laughs> on that price. <laughs> I was going to show them how to fish this technique, and we didn't take a camera. I said, today we're just going to go, it is Saturday, let's go catch some fish. It was me, Chad, and Brooks. And Brooks was, you know, of course, he was on the podcast last. So. Yeah, so so our executive producer, we go down there, we launch the boat, and I'm showcasing how you fish this thing and you let it go to the bottom, and how little you move it, but how hard you have to set the hook, because you're mm-hmm. you're fishing in a grass bed mm-hmm. 20 feet deep, mm-hmm. right? You got to really set the hook. Me mm-hmm. and Chad launched the boat. Brooks is parking the truck. So Brooks is parking the boat. I cast, I flick it, I show him the lure, I cast it out there, and I'm showcasing how long you got to wait for this thing to hit the bottom. And it hits, and I pull it tight, and I shake it about two times, and I said, I'm going to show you how you need to set this hook. Because I've got this drag set where you physically can't break the line mm-hmm. by setting the hook. So you got to really rip it. Well, about that time, we're at the boat ramp, a little, little oh. bump. I set the hook. He's like, what, what, what is he doing? And I'm no, like, I was like, got it. Cool. Thanks for showing me. Thanks for, thanks for showing me how to set the hook. And I'm like, no, grab the net. <laughs> He's like, we throw a four-pounder in the boat. I haven't turned the motor on. haven't even put the troll motor in yet. I hand him the rod. He flicks it back out. And this is all at the David Hayes boat ramp. So mm-hmm. everybody knows where that's at. Near where the world record was caught. Right there. And Chad and I were there when Mr. Hayes dedicated it. Oh, yeah. Chase casts out. Let's it go to the bottom, shakes it about two or three times. Boom. He throws a four pounder in the boat. We've now have four pound two four pounders in the boat and haven't even put the troll motor in yet. And our can our our other camera guy, our executive producer, Nathan Brooks, is sitting there with his shrugging his shoulders, hands out, going, Are you guys gonna pick me up or what? <laughs> yeah. He gets in the boat, I mean dang, he caught one too. We literally caught three four pound smallie and never started the boat, never launched the motor. That's that, a good little cove right there. Hey, we could yeah. have uh, turned into a forty-eight something fish day. We were actually fishing. We caught him in that ramp. cove that, that yeah, tough day. This yeah, is where Brendan were fishing live bait. Remember? That's we, right. We were actually fishing on the ramp. Mm-hmm. These fish were sitting on the maybe on the drop of the ramp, mm-hmm. but they were right there. So a little secret: any any diehard bass fisherman to know what what we did that day is you know in January and February that water temperatures gotten to its rock bottom. And all of a sudden, you get that unseasonably mm-hmm. warm sun, 60-degree day, day. It's really the full sun that I think does it. That next morning, fish that boat ramp because those fish will come onto that concrete mm-hmm. because they that warm up. Because yeah. it warms up. That's exactly what we did. We put in after a really, really warm day and cold wet water. And I thought, you know what? There's a chance right here. But it was also a chance because we were right there just to showcase how to work that bait. Well, those smallies had moved up on that boat ramp sitting on that concrete in about eight to ten feet of water warming up and uh, yeah and honestly not just and we caught them on the boat ramp because the boat ramp had warmed up but honestly a lot of the spots where we caught fish that day when we were pulling through the grass and then we got into a bare spot because they were sitting mm-hmm. not on the grass but they were sitting on that bare rock where that rock had warmed up too and uh yeah that's how we caught all those fish well, that sounds like are... a magazine story don't you think <laughs> <laughs> You're ready to go fishing. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, we got about uh, five months or so before that. Hey, I'm thinking ahead, baby. <laughs> That's good. Planning for next spring issue, right? Mm-hmm. No doubt. 
That's funny. All right, let's wrap it up, guys. We've gone for a long time, actually. It's and, been a good uh, one, Toad. Yeah, yeah. I had fun, and uh, I've got two or three fishing trips lined up now. I need to try too. So, <laughs> thanks for coming on, Chad. Hey, thank you guys for having me. And uh, you know, congratulations on the success so far of this podcast. I oh, had people yeah. approach us from time to time. I think they may listen to Kentucky Field Radio, but uh, now I'm getting more and more people coming up saying, "Hey, I, I'm enjoying the podcast." So good, good, good. You guys are doing a good job with that, it. That's what we're shooting for. It's fine. Oh, yeah, it is fun. It we're is. just getting here. We just talk to people. So. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up. <laughs>